Welcome back to week two of our sermon series called Christmas in Real Life. If you're able to be here last week or maybe you, you watched later on in the week, you know that in this series we're looking at four different words, four big words that we often hear this time of year. And last week we looked at the word hope. And we learned that, that hope is not just a feeling, it's not just wishful thinking for things to get better. Hope is a person. His name is Jesus. And because of Jesus and what he has done, we can have real lasting hope no matter what. Right? Hope in Jesus means that you not only can get through the difficult things in life, but you will now and forever because of Christ. This week, we're looking at another one of those words, which I, I kind of think is maybe the most well-known and most used out of all the words we're going to look at in this series. Right? It's something that you see all over the place. You see it on Christmas cards. We sing about it. We wear it on our sweaters, and I've seen it on socks. We even see it on a sweater for a wine bottle. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but when I was looking, there, there's the picture, right? Have you ever seen that, a, a wine bottle sweater? No, I, it was crazy, I saw it, right? But we see it, uh, one of those decorations is kind of cut down. I saw displays that said joy in people's front yards in my neighborhood, right? It's, it's the word that the angels spoke to the shepherds, right? I bring you a message of great joy, and it's that message of joy that the shepherds heard, and it changed their life forever, and so this time of year, maybe more than any other time, right, we say this is a season of joy. And if we wanted to, we could, we could get together their, their second cousin to the word joy and, and throw in rejoice or happy or merry. And this is a word we hear all the time during Christmas. So it got me thinking, well, what is really Joy. What, what is its true meaning? What's its root? And so I read a bunch of articles, and one of the articles that, that really stood out to me was a survey that they took, and they asked one basic question to thousands of different people. And this is the question. If you could say in one word what you want more than anything in life, what would it be? You know what the number one answer was? Happiness, right? That was the number one answer. Like they said, if you could condense what you want more than anything in life to one word, give me the word, the number one answer was happiness. I'm guessing that's not too shocking. And that thought of wanting happiness more than anything else is really not a new concept in human history. About 1,600 years ago, a guy by the name of Augustine, have you ever heard of him? Some of you have. If you haven't, look him up because he's probably one of the most influential Christian writers of all time. No matter what your, your denominational stripe is, people listen to his words, they, they quote them, they read them, because he said a lot of really good stuff as a follower of Jesus living in what at the time was North Africa. And he talks quite a bit about happiness and joy in his writings. And one of his statements that stood out to me, and he said this, Every man, whatsoever his condition, desires 
to be happy. Right? So it doesn't matter what, what position in life they're in, what, what station in life they're in, they have a desire to be happy. He goes on. There's no man who does not desire this, and each one desires it with such earnestness that he prefers it to all other things. Right? If you could sum up into one word what you desire more than anything else, happiness, whoever in fact desires other things actually desires them for this end alone to be happy. Right? He was writing at about 480, 1,600 years before that survey, asking people in 21st century America, what's the one word? Augustine says the same thing. Because right? here in Augustine's quote, and in that survey, I think we learn something about the desires of the human heart. We all want to be happy. We all want to find true, lasting joy in our lives. So what is it for you? What makes you happy? What brings joy to your heart? Is it snuggling your little one on the couch in the glow of the Christmas lights and, and maybe some music or a, a Christmas movie in the background? Is it your spouse, right? The love of your life and they bring you so much joy. I know not every day, right? But they bring you happiness and joy. That's the one that, that God made for you. Is it your job, right? You love your job so much that it brings fulfillment, happiness, and joy to your life. Is it your family? Is it friends? Maybe for some of you it's just a, a hot cup of coffee early in the morning before the rest of the house gets up and, and life gets crazy. Or does that bring you joy and happiness? Or how about this time of year? Is it maybe having the grandkids over, baking some cookies? Or wrapping the presents? Or putting up the lights? Or maybe going out to a place like Mike's Farm and, no, they're not paying me for that advertisement, but to go see the, the light show that they have there? What brings you happiness? What brings you joy? Certainly the things I just mentioned, and, and you probably have a million other things going through your head right now, they can and they do bring us happiness and joy, but there is a problem. You know what it is? None of the things that I just mentioned last. They're good, they're fun, they bring us happiness and joy, but, but finding real joy and then holding on to it, keeping it, that is really hard. Think about last Christmas. That's not even a full calendar year ago, right? Think about maybe your Christmas list. Think about, about the, the get-togethers and, and all the things associated with Christmas. Do you remember them all? Do you remember all the gifts you got, all the presents you exchanged, all the parties you went to, all the lights that you saw, if you do, you're better than me because I don't remember three-fourths of it. And not just because I'm getting old. <laughs> right? So, so the things that you thought 12 months ago would bring you joy and happiness, right? Checking off the box, getting your Christmas list done, getting the presents, all the trimmings, going to, to, to those candlelight services, all that stuff, the things you thought would bring you happiness, you don't even remember half of it. If you're me, anyway. Or maybe think about your life in general, right? 
the times that you thought, if only I had this, or if only I got that, or if only this would change, well, then, then I'd be happy. And maybe you got it. Maybe it really happened. Right? She said yes. You got the job. You made rank. You got higher pay. You got a promotion. The kids are doing really good in school. Maybe they got the scholarship they were going for. But did it really make you more joyful? Or how about this? We all live in what is called the first world. You know what I'm saying by that, right? We, when somebody says that's a first world problem, what I mean by that is this. When you leave here today, you are going to get to go home in some form of a car. Whether you think it's nice or not, you don't have to walk. You're going to go home. Maybe you're going to watch football on the big screen. Or even if it's a smaller screen, you're still going to get to watch some TV, right? You're going to eat as much as you want, when you want, because your refrigerator is not bare, your cupboards are not empty. You're going to get to maybe spend some time with that family this afternoon. Maybe you're going to get to FaceTime your parents or grandparents. Maybe you're going to get to catch up with friends via text. Maybe you're going to get to play some video games, do some surfing, some Christmas shopping on the laptop. And then when all's said and done today... You're going to jump into bed, a nice warm bed in a climate-controlled home, and you're going to get a good night's sleep, hopefully. And then you're going to wake up in the morning, you're going to have some breakfast, and if you don't eat, it's not because you couldn't eat, it's because you chose not to because you were behind. And then you're going to hop into your car and go to your work and go to school, and then maybe you're going to stop at Target on the way home and, and you're going to get that Starbucks latte for $7.50 and, and then you're going, to, you're going to go to your Amazon wish list and, and make sure that you got everything for Christmas and, and you're all set to go. A lot of blessings, right? Yet I find it often ironic that, that every year they, they put out this, it's called the Happiness Index, I think. I could be getting that wrong, but they rank the happiest countries in the world and you know who's never at the top of the list? ours. Even though we live in a country, we live in a time that's more prosperous than probably 99% of people that have ever walked the earth, we don't show up sometimes even in the top 10 of the happiest places on earth. And if you want to get more personal, I've often talked to people, and maybe I've even thought this myself, you'll ask them, hey, when was the happiest time of your life? And you know what they almost never say? They don't talk about the job, they don't talk about the promotions, the money, the houses, the cars, anything. Oftentimes they go back to when they were in that one-bedroom apartment, eking out a living, with a newborn on the way, don't know how they're going to figure it out, but man, they were happy. I think that tells us something, doesn't it? That if we want happiness, which Augustine, I think, is right, we desire it, we desire happiness and joy, yet it's not going to come from this or that or stuff or the things we think often will make us happy. Because I think the reality is happiness, is, we all desire it, but it's really hard to not only get, but to hold on to. And you want to know maybe the biggest problem? Maybe it's us. Maybe it's us because our definition of joy and happiness is oftentimes not the same as God's. Right? I, I think there's a difference between the word happy 
and joy, but, but I'm not sure if that was always the case, because if you think about Augustine's quote, I think he's using them interchangeably. If you look in the Bible, it says joy, it talks about happiness, happy are those that the Lord has chosen. It's kind of using them interchangeably, but, but in our day and age, there's a difference, right? Oftentimes, happiness and or joy to us is based on external circumstances, Right? If I get the job, I'm happy. If, if, uh, if she says, yes, I'm happy. If this works out, I'm happy. If I can get the nicer car, I'm happy. If the promotion works out, I'm happy. If the kids behave, I'm happy. But if they don't, if none of those things work out, are we often happy or are we sad? We're depressed, we're anxious, we're upset. And so maybe we're part of the problem, right? We, we, we look at happiness and our happiness and joy are completely connected to external things and the circumstances of our lives. Now, that's nothing new either. In the book of Isaiah, we, we looked at his writings last week. We're going to, again, in just a second here. But God's people were, were less than joyful. And part of the problem was they were trying to find joy and happiness apart from God. Right? Like last week, if you remember, I talked about how things got really, really bad for Israel. But before that happened, actually things were really, really good. They were living in a time of affluence. They were living in a time of wealth and prosperity. Maybe they could have related to 21st century America, right? I mean, if it's something they wanted, they could get it. Life was pretty good compared to a lot of people. But there was a problem. All of that joy, all of that happiness was connected to things around them and not, not to God. In the process, they had forgotten about their God and, and they went to those things that they thought would fulfill them and make them happy and, and rescue them from, from problems. And God was patient. God was loving. He kept calling them back. And you know what they kept doing? Oh, we're good. We're going to keep living our lives of affluence and wealth and good times over here. Like, we're good. And eventually, it all came crashing down. Eventually, foreign armies marched on Israel. And as we heard about the context last week, houses were burned, the economy tanked, people died. And there was no longer affluence or wealth or, or, or good times. In fact, as they looked at their lives, there was probably not any joy to be found, or at least they thought. Now that is the context of when God has Isaiah speak these words. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. But right, as you look at these words, right, like, and now that you know the background, isn't it kind of ironic that in the midst of pain and suffering and struggle and death, as God's people look and there's no reason to celebrate, there's no reason to rejoice and have joy, God says this. He speaks a message of joy. Right? Someone is going to come and set you free. Someone's going to come and heal your broken heart. Someone's going to come and, and, and release you from prison. Now, God's not just talking about their struggles and, and eventually their exile to Babylon. 
right? That, that's going to come to an end. I'm going to bring some of you back home. He, God's going way deeper than that. Because did you know that these words are not the last time they show up in Scripture? 700 years after God has Isaiah write these words, a guy named Jesus from a town called Nazareth walks into the synagogue on that, on that afternoon for church, and they hand him a scroll, and he opens it up because they said, hey, Jesus was a teacher, he's a rabbi. Can you read this in church today? And Jesus said, like, absolutely. And he opens the scroll, and he reads those very words. Now, that wouldn't have been weird. Jesus was a respected teacher. They asked him to read for church, and he did, but this was the part that blew everybody away, or at least it should have. Jesus rolls up the scroll, he hands it back to the attendant, and then he says, you know what you just heard? Those words are now fulfilled in your hearing. You know what Jesus was saying? I'm the guy. Right? You guys have heard Isaiah 61 before in church. You guys know that it's not just a connection to coming back home from exile, but it's, it's connected to the promised Savior who's going to come and set people free from sin and death. I'm him, and I'm here. And this, these words are fulfilled today. Right? Jesus spoke these words the first time in Isaiah and the second time in places like Luke 4, to give joy to people who didn't seem to have a reason for joy. God's people in the Old Testament in Isaiah's day, there didn't seem to be much joy to be had in their circumstances, but God says you can have joy. In Jesus' day, you know who was the oppressor? God's people weren't free. There was an empire named Rome who ruled over them, and they called the shots, not God's people. But God said, I've come to set you free. I've come to give you joy. And the best part of it all is, is Jesus didn't stop preaching this message that day in the synagogue. He continues to preach it to us today. We might not be in the same circumstances that God's Old Testament people were in Isaiah's day. We might not be under the same kind of oppression that God's people in Jesus' day when he walked the earth, but, but he speaks to us who live in a broken, sinful, hurting, dying world. And not only is the world around us broken and dying and spinning out of control because sin and darkness and death, we're broken people too. No matter what we think, no matter how much we try to hide it, Jesus knows the truth about you, and he knows the truth about me, and he knows we need help. Right? Jesus knows the you that lets a careless word slip off your tongue and blows up a relationship, maybe not just for a day or a week, but maybe for years. Jesus knows the you that maybe struggles with anxiety and worry and doubt and you don't always trust in him. He knows those moments. He knows the times that you have been loveless in your life and he knows the times that people have maybe mistreated you. He sees the pain that others have inflicted on you in thought, word, and deed, but he also sees the times that, that you have been the inflictor. He sees the you that maybe struggles with addiction or pride. Maybe the you that struggles with depression or, or, or self-righteousness. 
He sees the you that oftentimes chases after everything else to find happiness and joy instead of him. Even though he knows all of that about you and me, he still speaks these words. He still says, I have come for you. And he says, I have come. I know it all. I've seen it all. But I have come to give you joy. And I'm here. I, I see your tears and I see your broken hearts and I see your sins and the mess you have made. But I have shown up to change all of it. I have come to, to set you free from the prison of guilt and sin and death. I have come to, to mend your broken heart. Whatever broke it, even if it was your own fault, I've come to heal it. And I've come to restore. And it's Jesus who says, I have come to this broken, dying world, because we know this is a pretty jacked up place, isn't it? All you have to do is, is just read the headlines for like a day. Mass shootings at a high school in Michigan people getting into SUVs and, and running over elderly people and kids in a parade, that's pretty dark. And then there's the darkness in our own heart too. Jesus says, I came to save it all. I came to give you joy that is not based on, on, on what you see on TV or what you experience in your own life, but joy found in a Savior who has come. And I don't know about you, but that's some really good news. Some really good news that we have a God who loved us so much that despite our sins, he still said, I'm going to show up. And I'm going to rescue. And I'm going to save. And nowhere do we see that clear than this time of year. Right? The baby born in the manger is proof that God has come to rescue his people, right? You know what the word Emmanuel that we just sang about means? It means God with us. It means you're not alone. It means you're not just drifting by yourself on this sea of sin and struggle and, de and despair, and even on the good days, you realize this is as good as it's going to get. No. Jesus has come. He has come to give you joy found in him Joy knowing that no sin can condemn you because he was condemned in your place. Joy knowing that, that nothing anybody can say against you or do to you can separate you from his love because he defeated sin and death and hell and Satan for you because that's why he was born. Joy that is yours because it's not contingent on what you're going through or what you've experienced in life, as good or as difficult as that might be, but it's joy found in a person named Jesus. Joy that you can have 365 days of the year, no matter what you're faced. That's the joy that the Christ child brings. It's the kind of joy that a woman named Cindy had. I heard this story many, many years ago, so I don't even know if I'm getting all the names right, to be honest with you, but, but we'll call her Cindy. And Cindy lost her ability to walk at a pretty young age. Cindy was in a car accident, an accident that left her in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. Cindy would not be able to continue playing sports that she loved. She would never walk down the aisle when she got married. She'd never be able to chase her kids in the backyard. 
and play with them because she, she couldn't move her legs. And obviously, because Cindy's a human being like any of us, she had moments of doubt and struggle and sadness and anger and tears and all of that. But God continued to hold her close. And there was a point later on in life when she was discussing this with her pastor, and kind of the topic came up of, you know, the why me, and why does it seem like, you know, I'm a child of God, and I can't walk, and I haven't for years, and I didn't tell you how she got hit. She got hit by a drunk driver. Like, why her? Why this? And there's so many people out there who have use of their legs, they can do whatever they want, and they don't care about God. Well, later in her life, when they had that conversation, you know what she said? She said, yeah, but they don't have Jesus. And so I wouldn't trade places with them for a million dollars. You can give me the world and I'm not trading places for them. You can tell me that I could walk again? Nope, I wouldn't do it so that I could be in the arms of Jesus. That, that's joy, even in a difficult circumstance in life. That's joy that is yours. You know, the next couple of weeks are probably going to be some of the busiest and craziest of the year for for most people, maybe all of us at some level. People are going to run to the stores and and shop online, and and they're going to scramble to and fro, fill their calendars so full of stuff. And many times we're doing it just to, to buy and to find some happiness and joy. Maybe this year could be different for us as people of God. And I'm not saying those things are wrong, so don't misunderstand. I'm not a Grinch. I'm not saying the cookies and the gatherings and and all the stuff that we do at Christmas is wrong, because it's not. I I hope that you get to see your family this Christmas. I hope that you get to bake cookies with your grandkids. I hope that you get to eat so many holiday goodies that you're stuffed to the brim. I I hope that you get all your Christmas check boxes checked off. I hope that you get what you want. I hope that, that your finances work out. I hope that mom gets better. I hope that your relationships get mended. I hope all those things happen for you. But even if they don't, even if none of those things happen, you can still have joy. Real joy. Lasting joy. Joy because Jesus has come. Joy because God has shown up into your world, into our world, to rescue and save us and to give us a joy that cannot spoil, cannot perish, will not fade, and has nothing to do with the circumstances in life. You are a child of God. You've been saved. It's done. It's finished. Jesus said so himself. He's going to carry you through whatever whatever good or garbage and bad times that you face in this world, and at the end of the day, you will rest with him forever in heaven, and nothing can change that. And so this Christmas and always, that's why you can have real joy, lasting joy, today, tomorrow, and forever. Amen. Amen.